picking up where he left off, that God saves sinners. Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible's about that, God saving people who are at enmity with him or at war with him. And the Bible does talk that every boy and girl that comes out of their mother's womb, every human being, is, we're at war with God. And Jesus was about bringing peace. And so we left off a couple of weeks ago, high drama here in Luke chapter 5. The, Jesus healed a man in the advanced stages of leprosy. Just read that again this morning. It says in verse 12, full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. It's kind of a gory picture. Full of leprosy. Which meant he had sores all over his body, which meant that his fingers and toes would have fallen off by this point. His nose, his eyebrows fallen off, his, just ravaged by the disease. And uh, he, it says that at the end of verse 12, he implored Jesus, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, then he put, then it says um, in verse 13, Jesus says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. We didn't actually get a couple weeks ago to verse 14. And then it says, Jesus charged him to tell no one, but said this, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Underline that, as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. So why does Jesus tell this man to go to the priest? Well, the short answer is, is because he was required to under Old Testament law. There's two whole chapters about what to do if you think you have leprosy and, what to, and after you get cleansed, if you get cleansed, what you need to do then, you need to go to the temple and show yourself at the temple. Leviticus 13 and 14, woo, challenging two chapters there. Um, drink a couple cups of coffee before you get into those. But um, they're, they're, they are rich if we look at them, you know, through sort of the prism of the whole Bible and the fact that, um, as we'll see today, uh, have a lot to do with what Jesus does right here in this chapter. But if the if the uh, until such time the priest pronounced you clean, you couldn't go into society because leprosy, this form of it, had was contagious, and you weren't allowed to roam around freely in society. But if the priest pronounced you clean, you were allowed to go back, uh, and uh, but the priest was required to do something else. And if you want to read it, I, I really do suggest after this message today, the homework for this week, read Leviticus 14. Do, do take a cup of coffee before, but, but really, you, it's, it's really profound. The priest was required to slaughter a lamb and take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the leper or the person who had been, rather, the person who had been cleansed from leprosy. So we read these couple verses in, in, in Luke chapter 5, and it's like, wow. From Genesis to Revelation, who does the lamb represent? Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29. Do we have that? John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, this is John the Baptist 
pointing at Jesus as Jesus was walking towards him in John chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why did Jesus send the leper to the priest? Well, it says there in verse 14, as a testimony to them. He didn't have to tell them, well, do it because the law requires. But he told them, really, the long answer is he told them to be a testimony to them. Let all the priests know in that temple that the Lamb of God has come, and it was the Lamb of God that healed you. And here's what's really amazing. There is no record in Israel that we know of, and they kept a lot of records that we have today and can read, that there had ever been a leper healed, ever, in the history of Israel. There is no record of that ever happening. So this would have shaken the, the priest to the bone. It would have, it, it would have left them stunned. This, lep, this person who everyone had known was a leper shows up at the temple and he's cleansed. They would have been stunned. And as they applied the blood of the lamb to that man, they would have to grapple with the undeniable fact that the lamb of God was among them and had healed this man. Now, this is important. Jesus doesn't hide the fact of who he is from anyone. The opposite is true. In the most intentional way, he lets himself be known. From time to time, you hear the objection. Well, if God were real, he would make himself more evident. He does. The problem with man is that they would just assumed to try to uh, pretend that God has not revealed himself, lest they have to give up control of their lives to him. And that was the very thing going on in the temple in Jerusalem. These priests knew full well what was going on in, in, the, in the country around them, that the Lamb of God was there. But what, they, what, what did they do? They stuck their heads in the sand, that hot Middle Eastern sand. Wow, that's painful. But, it, you know, trying to pretend that it wasn't true. But Jesus, and I love this about God, he's not going to let us do that. There's people here this morning. You're trying to stick your head in the sand as to who Jesus is and what he wants for your life. You're sticking your head in the sand. God loves you. He's not going to let you do that. He didn't even let these, these, these stubborn snob, you know, snobs in the temple who consider themselves above everyone, the first people we would just assume do away with, didn't even let them keep their heads in the sand. You go to the temple, to the priest, as a testimony to them. As a testimony to them, he says, I love that about our Lord. He wants us, he wants you to get out of the closet and into his will. He wants you to make him your Lord. He wants to make him your Savior. He wants you to line up in behind him, beside him. But let's continue. It says in verse 15, 
So Jesus tells, also tells the guy, don't tell anyone, but uh, the report, verse 15, uh, went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, of their sicknesses. And then it says in verse 16, so he, Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Why did Jesus withdraw himself into the wilderness? Why did he do that? Anyone? To be with God, to be with the Father, to spend time with his Father. Well, what do we learn from this? Well, this is a sermon unto itself. I, I actually considered and even prayed about doing the whole sermon on this one verse, but may, another day maybe. But um, he withdrew himself to, 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 to be with the Father, but we learn from this, this that among other things, this is loud and clear. We can't get away from this truth. The busier life gets, the more time we, you, me, need to spend with God. I often ask people, have you been able to have a personal time with God, opening up the Word of God and praying to Him all the time? I says, you know, I did, I was, I had, things had been going well, but all of a sudden things got so busy, it's just overwhelmed, it, it, and I've just been swamped. Stop that. <laughs> you have everything backwards. You have it backwards. Verse 15 says that because he, himself, because he was so busy. Verse 15, again at the verse, it says, however, the report went about concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together. Verse 16, so or because, because of that, he went how often? Oh, not very often, seldom because he didn't have the time. No, often. He often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And so I love this quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, radical dude. I, and now he was one busy guy. That guy was like one busy guy. I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours a day each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. Now, you look at that, and at first, when you first look at that, you scratch your head and go, wait, did they get this quote wrong or something? <laughs> but that verse, I mean, that, that, that uh, statement that Luther made it is the exact picture that's presented in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. The busier that you get, the more that you need God. And, and, and when you get busy, you know, cut something else out. Not God. That, that reality show you're watching, Facebook, you know, texting, tweeting, sweeting, bleeding, whatever, you know, the video games on your iPod, whatever it is that you're doing. Don't cut God out. And, I, and, and, you know, we speak here from experience. People stumbling into our, 
you know, counseling room a wreck because things got so busy. They cut the Lord out. No, don't do that. And now this extraordinary story here in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day. Now keep in mind, you know, multitudes are coming to him. And he's just getting swarmed with people. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees. Pharisees were people, were men who were students of the law and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold... Like all of a sudden, it's like, you now pay attention to this. That's what that word behold means. Pay attention. Men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how, how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he, Jesus, saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. It's just such drama. Verse 17, first things first, it says, now it happened on a certain day that he was teaching. So the mobs of people came to Jesus. What did he do? He taught them. The parallel account in the book of Mark says he was teaching them the word. You know, every week. We gather in this hall, Longwood Hall. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. But we didn't come up with this format. Wow, Steve's a genius. He comes, he made up this thing. He comes and teaches the Word of God. No, Steve's not a genius. God is. It was and always has been his idea. And you see here Jesus teaching the Word of God. Why, by the way? Well, why is he doing that? Because that is how you get to know 
God. You go out in the streets today and ask people, do you believe in God? 9%, over 9% will say, oh, yes, I believe in God. But then you ask them, do you know God? And most of them will be very confused. Well, how can you really know God? By reading and sitting under the teaching of God's word. So Jesus is teaching the word of God. And verse 18 says that men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. So this man couldn't walk. He couldn't move his legs. Most likely he couldn't move his arms. He was paralyzed. So Jesus is teaching inside of, a, in, of the house. However, there was a mob scene outside the house. Everyone's pressing into the entrance of the house. You know, we've seen this type of thing in Boston, right? We try to go to the subway or the T, try to get in. We're running. Oh, I'm late. I'm late. And, and it's like, oh, no. You see like 20 people just cramming themselves into an already crammed up subway car. So, no, that's it. Well, you know, we should have read our Bible. What do you do then? You go to the roof, and you, you know, you, you, you cut a hole right in the middle of it, right? Well, you know, but, you know, it's the same sort of thing, uh, except it wasn't 20. It was probably hundreds of people, and um, these men were not getting into this house by normal means. They went for the roof, and you say, what do, they mean? What do you mean they went for the roof? What are you supposed to do on a roof? Well, you bust a hole through the roof. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean, what do you do when you go to the roof? And so it says in, in verse 19, it says, When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the t- uh, tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, in the book of Mark, we read that they actually broke through. So it wasn't like coming into like one of those uh, roofs that open up into a courtyard in the middle. None of that. They broke through and they let down the bed. I mean, crazy, right? So before we move on, just want to pause there. So what, it's worth pausing there and saying, well, Lord, is there some application to, to me in this verse? Well, Yes, how determined are you, Steve? How determined are you to bring someone to Jesus? Not just supposed to be reading these stories like fairy tales. These things really happened and they were included in the Bible to speak to your heart. How determined are you to bring someone to Jesus. I came to Jesus because some, someone, a guy named Don, wasn't Don Mitchell, although he's one determined guy, who, who, those of you who know Don in the evening service, but, but this guy Don was very determined to get me to Jesus. I was 23 years old, I was in school, and I, there was this guy in my class over there at the same school, um, Oh, man, he was a pest. I mean, this guy was a sanctified nag. Uh, and he, it's funny, he was uh, actually uh, an Olympic swimmer. He got injured and wasn't, couldn't, didn't make it into the Olympics, but he, he, was, he, he, he was a butterfly guy, you know, the butterfly. And, you know, with me, he was like a moth, you know, you know get, get out of him, get out of him. And, you know, so he would just, every time I'd come, he's just one of those guys, you know, hey, Steve, have you been to church lately? You know, and I'd run into him again. Hey, Steve, have you read the Bible? Hey, Steve, you know, uh, isn't God awesome? You know, he'd always say that. 
you know, you're not supposed to say stuff like that to people who don't really know God, right? Wrong. (laughs) He did. He did it all the time. Isn't God awesome? You know, finally one time he said, hey, Steve, I want you to read this book. It's a commentary in the book of John. So I gave up, and uh, I took it, and I began to read it. And one night while I was reading this thing, I mean, it was like someone plugged a broadband, a DSL cable into my heart and just put on the God channel, you know. It was just wonderful. All because this guy was faithful and determined and, and, and put aside his shame. How determined are you to bring someone to Jesus? And I certainly can't claim any measure of victory in this area. I, I, I give up way too easily. But listen, I'm so grateful that God has brought this chapter right in front of my face this morning and, and, just not, and, and, and not letting me and us stick our head in the ground on this issue. It's, it's challenging to us, and we need to know it. Why do we need to know it so much? Because look, verse 20, when he saw their face, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. When he saw their face, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed the guy. They saw the hand of God because they were so determined to bring this guy to Jesus. That's what Jesus sees. That's what gets his attention. This is what pleases him. When we're determined to bring someone to Jesus, this is how we get to see the almighty hand of God at work. Look, people come up to me on a regular basis. I really want to see the power of God. Are you bringing people to Jesus? I mean, are you determined to? You don't have to. There is no law to bring anyone to Jesus. You can go your whole life and not even try necessarily. It's not a a law. We are under grace. Praise God. It's just that if we want to see the power, the hand of God at work, man, this is one of the things you will see it. I'll just give you one little goofy example that just happened to me. You know, it wasn't a big thing, but man, it totally made my day. I was, you know, every year at Christmas... For 20 years, I've, uh, I've really presented to people why I believe in, in uh, you know, what Christmas means to me. And, uh, man, it was Christmas Eve this year, and I'm like, I haven't shared that with a single person. Now, I'm not under law, but I also have, I, I know by this point that it's so wonderful to be able to share this. So it's Christmas Eve, and I'm going to the gym, and it's 8 o'clock, and I'm thinking, oh, I know. There's this guy at the gym, you know. He, he, I've been meaning to, to share with him for the longest time, and uh, I'll share with him. The problem is, it was 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Who's going to be at the gym? But man, I was just thinking in my heart and, 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 and I was sort of just determined that this was going to happen. So I get there and there's not a single soul. 
not a single soul in this place. Who would be at, other than me, at 8 p.m. on a Christmas Eve? And so uh, I go in there and I get on the elliptical thing. Please, sorry for the word picture. But uh, uh, so I'm, you know, going away on that thing. And, and then all of a sudden this woman comes in and uh, she gets on this machine a couple machines away and, and she starts, you know, puts on her iPod, goes off into her world, and is, like, wailing away yeah, twice as fast as I'm going, you know. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, Lord, give me the opportunity to share with this woman. And I'm just thinking, I, I, there's no way I can't knock her off this machine. I'm not going to go up to her and say, hey, uh, can you mind stopping your machine and talking to a perfect stranger, you know. And her iPod's on, and... Um, but I kept on going. After a while, a guy walked in with his kid, and he went to the other side of the room. But so I got, I, I finished up, and I guess it's not happening. I go into the restroom. I get my clothes on. I'm bolting. I'm leaving. Then all of a sudden, I look over, and this woman had gotten off her machine, and she was looking all around the floor underneath the machine and looking for something. And immediately, I knew, thank you, Lord. I mean, this is totally from the Lord. She, she started way after me, and she was a lot better shape than I was. Uh, and uh, so I go up to her. I go, what are you doing? She goes, I lost my key. All my stuff's in my locker. I lost my key. And I go, oh, really? It took me about .03 seconds to find it. And the Lord led me right to this little key. It's this key on the other side of the room, by the way, was about this big. I walked right to it, picked up this key. And I go over to her, and I say, hey, I, you know, I got your key. Do you mind... Do you mind if I ask you a, a question? <laughs> and uh, she said um, I'd earned my right to talk with her. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I asked her, so what, do you, what does Christmas mean uh, to you? And, and she was from another religion, but it was just wonderful to be able to share with her. And I said at the end, I just want you to know that I was running on that machine over there when you came in, and I asked God, I said, somehow give me the opportunity to share with her, and then you lost your key, and I found it. And I said, <laughs> Merry Christmas, and I, and I went off. You know, it's not always like that. A few days ago, a guy was uh, filling out his lottery ticket, and I went up to him, and he was like this. Which to me is, is just a piece of tragedy right there. Any of you in this room who, who are playing the lottery, man, there's a tragedy working out in your heart. But, but, uh, but, but this guy is like doing this, and, and I walk up to him and I say, hey, man, um, uh, I know where there's a lottery ticket you're guaranteed to win. And, 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 and I've done this a, f a couple times before. It's amazing the reaction. The guy actually went, really? <laughs> where? I mean, it happens each time. It's weird. And, 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 um, and, they, and I said, you know, the, the lottery ticket is Jesus. You know, you are guaranteed to win. And he went. <laughs> so, you know, you won't always hear the hand of, uh, see the hand of God. But, um, but, but, but look, the point is, back in the verse, um, it, it, what was it that Jesus saw? It says in verse 20, he he saw their faith. And what did he see about their faith? That they were determined to bring someone to Jesus. I just really strongly recommend that in April, we're going to start back going out on Saturday nights. We have an evangelism training program that starts up each April. It lasts about six weeks. Man, it may be the last thing in the world that you ever thought yourself would do. But you will see the hand of God. 
when you start going out and sharing with people. But it says there, so just back to the verse, it says they broke through um, the roof. And um, now scholars will tell you in Israel that at this time, roofs had four layers, a layer of sod, a layer of clay, a layer of tile. And then there was like another layer of wood or sheaves. And you can only imagine what it was like to be in this room. And you're listening, to, you know, you're listening to Jesus' uh, teaching. It's like, wow, how did I get this seat? You know, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, there's pounding over your head, and tiles start falling, uh, you know, onto people, and dirt is pouring into the room, and people are like standing up, like, what's going on? Who knows what the owner was doing? The guys having a heart attack. But here's the deal: at some point, this is what is really cool. Just, just imagine. This is, at some point. Jesus realizes what is going on, he, and, and he says to everybody, okay, everybody, just cool out, calm down. This is okay. This is okay. And the guy is lowered to where Jesus is. Jesus looks into his face, and he says in Luke 5, 20, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, in the book of Matthew, and actually uh, in the book of Matthew, it says not man but son, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. That word son, it's the Greek word technon. It's a term of affection for that you would use with a child. Son, be of good cheer. My child, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. So a bunch of men bust into the service in the middle of a Bible story study, and Jesus is okay with it. Now, as a pastor, as someone who makes decisions about some of these things, this really causes me to reflect. You know, we have a worship service here. We set up the chairs in a certain way. We put the projectors on, projectors on you know, two, we have two of them. We put things up on the, uh, on the projection screen. We get, get up and sit down at, at certain times in the, in the service. And we do all these things because we think they're good and that they serve people. But we better, I better, not lose sight of the fact that God, Jesus, supremely is not into the where, the how, the when. He is into people. He's into saving people, saving them from hell, from judgment, saving them into an everlasting relationship. He told Peter in, in, in earlier in the chapter, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, I will make you a fisher of men. You know, he had, Jesus had done that over-the-top miracle that Peter and John and James were out all night fishing. They were fishermen. They caught nothing. He, as soon as they got back, when they got back in, he said, go back out and throw your nets out. They said, what are you talking about? We were just out there. Okay, we'll do it. They go out there, this gigantic catch of fish. The nets were breaking. And, and then Peter comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, he says, I'm a sinner. 
Get away from me. I'm an evil person. I'm unclean. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. Jesus is the fisher. He wants people. He wants people to be saved. And if the building, the method of the church service, the time of the service, if any of that gets in the way of people coming to him, we may be freaking out. What's going on? Someone's breaking into our roof. Someone's breaking into our church service, the way we do things, our method. But the Spirit of God is saying, calm down. This is okay. I love them. I love him. I love her. I want to save them. This is my priority. People always take priority over forms and methods in the economy of God. I grew up around here. Things pretty conservative around here in New England. I moved away, moved to a bunch of places, wound up in Miami, was part of a church there. And this is a pretty funky uh, ministry. It was right in the middle of South Beach. Wow. There's a guy who came to church every Sunday in rollerblades. He would literally roll into the church. And there was this guy there. He was uh, worked for a corporation. He was a more conservative fellow, an older guy. And he goes, it's a funky group, this dude. I mean, he stuck out in this group, this guy. Come, come in a white shirt and stuff and uh, uh, a business shirt. And he goes, you know, I could take it when people were coming in here, you know, with earrings in their uh, face. And, and uh, I could take it when, you know, they would come in here with orange and purple hair. But when that guy started coming in here in rollerblades, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and yet he was okay with it. The Lord had freed him to understand that God is love. God is love. God is love. And he wants people to take priority over our buildings, our methods, our forms. I challenge you to do a Bible study of every time of the men and women who came to Jesus in a way that from man's perspective was just wrong, but how he responded. Luke chapter 7, a prostitute came in uninvited into a dinner at a Pharisee's house. She falls down at Jesus' feet, pours oil on him. People were shocked. Why is a man like this letting someone like her do something like that? In Mark chapter 10, as, as Jesus was leaving uh, Jericho, a blind man began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people were just rebuking him, telling him, stop. Don't you know who this is? Be quiet. It says, Jesus stood still and called the man to him. In Matthew 19, we all know of this one. Children, not supposed to be interrupting rabbis and prophets, came to Jesus. His disciples were holding them back. Jesus said to his disciples, don't do that. Why are you doing that? Let them come to me, for such is for, uh, the kingdom of God is for such as these. Luke chapter 8, a woman with a flow of blood for 12 years. The Bible says that a continuous flow of blood. She says she spent everything she had on doctors who could not help her. She snuck up behind them. She snuck up behind them, 
grabbed a hold of his robe. Nicodemus came at night. Oh, I shouldn't have to serve the Lord at night. This is my time. Zacchaeus, a rich man, threw etiquette into the wind. He was a rich dude, but he climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Mary of Bethany, John 11. She was okay that her house was trashed, even though Jesus was there because she, all she wanted to do was sit at his feet and listen to him. Each time, he gladly, gladly received them. Again in verse 20, he saw their faith and said to him, man, son, child, my child, your sins are forgiven you. Now, why do you say that? Why do you say your sins are forgiven you? Again, same thing with the apostle Peter. All of a sudden, Peter realizes he's in the presence of God. He cries out earlier in the chapter, depart from me, for I am an unclean man. Verse 8. What does Jesus say to Peter in verse 10? He says, don't be Afraid. Same thing going on here with a paralytic. I mean, from one mo- you know one moment to the next, uh, this man is taken from his uh, house, and uh, you, this was not a man who got out a lot. <laughs> you know, he's probably been confined to his room, maybe for the just a single room for the better part of his life. And he and he, and and all of a sudden now he's thrust into the presence of God. He was scared. He was terrified. Because why? Because he knew he was in the presence of God. And let me tell you, if this doesn't happen to someone, this, this is what happens to every single person who has been saved. If this has never happened to you, if you're, if you're sitting in this room and this has never happened to you, where you got into the presence of God and you realized, wow, I am evil. And I stand, I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'd love to pray with you after the service to come to Jesus, to understand that you desperately need him for your salvation. There's nothing you can do. You are so far from, from salvation, that, and he is so, so holy. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. Listen, guys, that's real. And this, this man gets into the presence of, of God, the consuming fire, and, and, and he's scared. But Jesus says more or less the same thing he said to Peter. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Your sins, they are forgiven you. It's a wonderful thing about coming to Jesus. The Bible says... He does not cast anybody away who comes to him, regardless of how much sin is in their past. And with that fear of what will happen, oh no, what is going to happen if I really give my life to the Lord? If I, if I start walking with the Lord, I'll lose these friends, I may lose whatever, this job, I won't be able to do this thing which gives me so much comfort. 
It's amazing. The Lord doesn't say, you're right. You're going to lose all that. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. I will be with you. So we're going to close up this morning with communion. Actually, if the worship team could come up.